honored to have you here tonight and we feel the presence of the Lord in this service and uh, we're going to go into the ministry of the word and we are thrilled to have with us some very special guests uh, all the way from Latvia, Eastern Europe and uh, we are thrilled to have with us our brother uh, Dennis Euchre and sister Amy Euchre. These are wonderful missionaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, uh, and, and I'm excited for them to be here and for us to get to know them even, even better. Uh, Brother Euchre is originally from South Dakota. And uh, as we were talking, uh, just an amazing, amazing heritage and history within his family. And, of course, uh, Sister Amy Euchre is actually the daughter of our global missions director, Brother and Sister Bruce Howell, and comes from the great nation of El Salvador. Amen. And so we are honored to have them with us uh, tonight, and, uh, tonight and, and we're excited to receive their ministry. You're going to be blessed of the Lord in this service this evening. How many came needing to receive something from the Lord? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, he's going to minister to us in a wonderful way. We want brother and sister Euchre to come at this time. Let's receive them with a warm hand clap of reception. God bless them. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. We love you, Jesus. Mighty God, we give you all the glory, mighty God. There is none like you, my soon and coming King. Amen? Amen. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Pastor Urshan, for those kind words and for allowing us to be here tonight. And it just is a joy and a privilege to be together with the people of God. I'm telling you what, the people of God like to get together with the people of God. There's just, I mean... We, we're missionaries in Latvia. We work in all 15 countries that were formerly in the Soviet Union. And today, six of those countries are Islamic states. And there's some uh, legal issues there when it comes to preaching the gospel in those countries right now. Well, God's, I'll tell you a little bit later how God's starting to change that. But I remember one of those countries where, where everyone there knows when you get together, you shut your cell phones off and you don't meet you know, you don't meet with more than about 10 people together and you're, you meet in homes and you got to be careful and all this kind of stuff. Well, the last time I was in that Islamic country, I ended up in this old Russian car at night going down these dirt alleyways, and we were in this warehouse district, and it was dark, and there's walls, and it's just, you got to kind of, you got to know where you're going. I mean, you're thinking like, where in the world is this? And when we got there, we were in it, we ended up in an L-shaped room with about 300 people in there praising God and celebrating him. And, uh, and I remember, I mean, I'm standing at the podium, and I'm facing a corner, and I've got half of them over there and half of them over there. And the bishop told me, he said, you know, we all know that, that we're not supposed to do this, and it's dangerous, and, you know, and we can get in trouble. But he said, the people just love to get together. And so they'll find somebody who's got a building somewhere, and word of mouth will get around, and next thing you know, this is what we got. I'm telling you, the people of God love to get together. Amen. And someday, we're getting close to that day. That's not going to be a concern anymore. Those security issues, we're going to be standing around that throne, praising our King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. And what a day that will be. Amen. And it's just, uh, I tell you what, it's just a great time to be part of the church of the living God. And we know this gospel is being preached in at least 186 nations and 35 territories around the world. That means Jesus is coming soon. There's a short list of unchurched countries, and yet every few months it seems like we cross another country off that list. I'm telling you what, it is just, I mean, and you hear these numbers like 186 and 35 and all that, and you wonder, what does that really mean? You know, how many countries are there really? And there's some dispute depending on who you talk to. You know, like the United States, we have this one China policy. 
we say, well, you know, Taiwan and China, Macau and Hong Kong, they're all just China. Well, in global missions, we say, you know what? We need to make sure the gospel gets preached in Hong Kong and Macau and Taiwan and China. We want to make sure that any place that might remotely be considered to be its own territory or country gets the gospel preached there. Amen. In church, it's happening. God is opening up doors. He's making a way for it to happen. And we are going to see it in our day. Amen. And it is just, I'll tell you what, it's an exciting time. Amen. And so before I get too wound up here, though, I do want to give my wife an opportunity to, to greet you. Amen. I am blessed tremendously with a wonderful wife. I told God, God had me running all over the world as a single person doing missions work. And I told God, I said, God, if I'm ever going to get married, it needs to be someone that I can take her overseas and her parents will not complain about it. And so God gave me a wife whose parents raised her in a civil war. And so I believe that gives me a certain amount of flexibility. Amen. God bless Sister Euchre. God bless you. My dad doesn't think he has that much flexibility, but he tells him that. It's a blessing to be with you all tonight, but it's such a privilege just to be in the presence of God together. As we started out service and began praying, it was just this, this just sweet drawing into his presence, and everything, everything is possible. And sometimes I think it's, it's just a beautiful thing to be able to come into the presence of God and not just, just not ask for anything, but to entertain him and to worship him. And it's a privilege to be with you all tonight. Thank you, Pastor, for everything. Um, it's sometimes when you stop and think about the, the wonderful things that God does in our lives, it's really a little bit mind-blowing for me to think that he's allowed me to just walk this life with him and say, God, whatever it is that you want me to do, it's my life is yours. I'll join you. And when we surrender everything to him, there is no telling what God can do. And it's a privilege to work with him. And you're going to hear a little bit more about what, uh, what God's called us to do over in Latvia. And I, I was raised in El Salvador. Fui criada en Salvador y sé que hay algunos aquí que pueden entender lo que estoy diciendo. Eh, I was Salvadorian. I thought I was Salvadorian. I didn't realize I wasn't actually born there. I was born in, in Mississippi. And then eventually I realized I didn't look like everyone there. But in my heart, I am pure Salvadorian. So we, I have a good friend of mine, Hermana Claudia, and her family. Uh, she was, went to my, uh, my dad's church, Centro Eden, in Salvador. So it's great to see people. So I'm going to sing um, this song in a few different languages, but I pray that you would worship with me because he is worthy of all the glory and he has been moving in such a wonderful way already. And I know that he's not finished yet tonight. So whatever you came in need of, Jesus is here tonight. Don't leave without getting a hold of him tonight because he's here for you. Thank you, Jesus. Te adoramos, Señor. Tú eres digno, Jesús. Te alabamos, Cristo, Señor. Digno es Cordero Santo. Santo, Santo es Y levantamos nuestra al que en el trono está Digno es el Cordero Santo Santo, Santo es el 
what amazing it is to think of what heaven's going to be like. Every tongue, every nation represented, worshiping around his throne. Amen. We'd like to take the next few minutes to share with you a video that, that shows a little bit about where we're going. It gives a glimpse of, you know, not only what it looks like, perhaps, what the, what the geography is or what the people look like, but most importantly, what the vision is, the burden that God has, has put on our hearts, and what he's allowing us to be part of, not only in Latvia, but all the former Soviet Union. God bless you. since I was young, we have always had a focus on missions. We've always had an emphasis on reaching the lost and in going to all the world. When I was three years old, I have a picture of my mother having a missionary map at eye level to myself and my sister. And every night we would pray for the missionaries before we went to bed. I remember when God began to deal with my heart about going into missions. And I thought, well, Lord, what am I going to do? I don't have any experience. Who am I to be a missionary? I told God, I said, Lord, these are the best years of my life, and I give them to you. Immediately, God began to open doors. I found myself handing out tracts and doing evangelism in the Philippines. I found myself in the jungles of Suriname and Guyana doing a youth camp. And I found myself able to go to Africa, and South Africa, and Kenya, and in different parts of South America, and into Asia, and into Europe. God began to give me a vision for a, a Bible school, like a, a full-time place in Eastern Europe where people would be trained and would be sent out into countries that were unchurched and into Eastern Europe. Through this, all these travels, I found myself at a missions conference, and at that conference, as I was walking in, I met my wife. I was introduced to her by some missionaries that knew us both, and I found someone else that had a burden for what God had called me to do. I was six weeks old when my parents uh, took me back to El Salvador. So that was my official introduction to the mission field. Um, I knew from a young age that God had called me to be involved in missions. I remember when I met uh, Dennis, uh, we met at a general conference, actually, uh, walking into a global mission service. In, the re in our relationship, as, as we got to know each other and started dating, I remember the time where he shared something a vision, a burden, really, that God had given him. And it was something uh, similar that God had given me, too. It was uh, a training center to see people equipped and empowered to go and do what God had called me to do. Four months after we were married, we went on our first AIM trip. And uh, we continued to do what we had been doing all along, what I had been doing, walking through open doors. And that led us to Latvia. We had been to Latvia on AIM several times showed us clearly this is where you need to go and the day that we got our proposed job description and the email it had a picture of, of a building that's there in in Riga in the city where we lived 
and I immediately knew that this was a possible site for a training center. I saw our job description and I began weeping because this vision that God had had given us many years ago and then in my human thinking I thought it would take at least perhaps a decade to get to establish that. God was opening the door for us to begin there. Lavia is in a, and it's in a very strategic location in Eastern Europe. It is in Northeastern Europe. It borders Russia and Belarus and Estonia and Lithuania. And it used to be part of the Soviet Union. It was in the Soviet Union for 40 years. And now the Soviet Union is known as the CIS and the Baltics. The 15 countries of the CIS and the Baltics contain about 290 million people. The land covers about 11 time zones, 15 countries. 290 million people. And we have seven missionary families on the team to reach those 15 countries. How is it going to happen? The way it's going to happen is we are going to train and equip laborers and send them into the harvest. Some of these countries, I can't go in there and preach, but I can bring someone from that country out of there to Rigalapia, and we can train them and we can equip them. We can lay hands on them and commission them and send them back to their country in the name of Jesus. Through this training center, we can reach into countries that we might never step foot in, but we can train someone who will go back to that country and reach their nation. A few weeks ago, we were privileged to be in El Salvador to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the church there. It was in the largest soccer stadium in the nation. 35,000 people were there. 3,842 received the gift of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues for the first time in one day, 40 years. From a civil war, I mean, how can you have revival in a civil war? But in 40 years, look what God has done in El Salvador. We look at El Salvador today and we think, you know, of course there's revival there. I mean, what a revival field. But there was a day when that was probably in question. And so then when I was there in, in that stadium looking around, I got to thinking about Eastern Europe, and I got to thinking about, wow, what about Russia? What about some of the countries in our subregion? Just what could happen? And in the future, there is a day where there's going to be revival there, like there is in El Salvador. And I got to thinking about how in the year 2018, they're going to have the World Cup in Russia. And right now, right now, they are building stadiums big soccer stadiums to host the World Cup. And these stadiums are located in strategic cities throughout the country of Russia. There's going to be a day when those stadiums and those key cities in that country are going to be the venues that we have for our district conferences. And people will be receiving the Holy Ghost. And people will be being baptized in the name of Jesus. If it was possible in a country riddled with civil war, it will be possible in these countries. And Latvia, in, in Estonia and Lithuania, going all into the former Soviet Union, countries that we don't even know if we have believers today. But in Jesus' name, we're claiming that those stadiums will be filled with believers. It is a privilege to just be part of what God is doing in Eastern Europe, to be part of the team that God has assembled there. I am forever grateful and thankful that God has just given us that opportunity to go there and to do that and to work in his kingdom. As the Apostle Paul said, he said, we are co-workers with Christ. And that means we have the best job in the world.
Isn't God awesome? I'll tell you what. It is amazing what he is doing. I mean, I have zero doubt in my mind that this gospel is going to get preached in every nation. I have seen too much to think otherwise. And I tell you what, you know, and I look at that, some of these situations that they seem like they're impossible or some of the vision that God gives us, and we think that's just, that's huge. Like, Lord, how is that possible? Like those stadiums. I mean, that seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? And then you think about how Brother Howell would talk about for years, he would drive past that stadium in El Salvador, and he would claim it in the name of Jesus. And today they have their conferences there. And I look at that and I say, you know what, when I was a child, we were trying to figure out how to smuggle a Bible into the former Soviet Union. And today we are about ready to break ground on the first full-time Bible college. Amen. I'm telling you, it is, God is making a way for this to happen. And so my wife and I, you know, we missionaries actually have a job description. And right at the top of our job description is to establish that first full-time Bible college in the former Soviet Union. And so, because we're, we're having revival, people are getting baptized, getting the Holy Ghost, but we have to have pastors. We got to have evangelists. We got to have people that are missionaries to their, to their own countries. Amen. And so uh, we are, when we get back there, hopefully just in a few weeks, um, right now our missions team is already negotiating to buy some property. Uh, we were looking at buying a hotel or an apartment building, but the way things worked out financially, we didn't have the money to just straight up buy something. And so we, we don't want to wait to start training people. We have our first group of students coming at the end of May, and so what we're going to do is we're going to be renting part of, an, of a hotel during the summertime to start our training. At the same time, we're going to be pouring foundations and starting to build this Bible college, amen? And, I mean, it's going to happen, and we're excited about it. And, uh, you know, we've got, a, we've got a very aggressive training program. If, someone is, if a believer is willing and able, they should be able to be ready to go from the time they get in the church and get the Holy Ghost. In two years, they can be a pastor, and, uh, it's a, it's, and sometimes it takes less than that. <laughs> Man, it's amazing what God is doing. And uh, so, you know, we, we've got this very aggressive training program, and some North American Bible colleges found out about it. This is the, our, we're naming our Bible school the, the Robert K. Rodenbush Global Training Center. And uh, so what happened is, my wife and I, we've always had a global vision, and we didn't know exactly how that was going to come about. We felt like God wanted us to do something in Eastern Europe and to work in Latvia and target Russian-speaking nationals. But also we felt like we were supposed to do something that had a global impact. And so sometimes you're kind of asking God, well, how is that all going to work out? Well, what happened is some North American Bible colleges found out about our program. And some of the, some of the presidents of those colleges have been over in our country and seen what we do. And so what they said is they said, we want our Bible college students that have a call in their life to be missionaries. We want them to be able to go to Latvia as interns, come do like a summer internship between their spring and fall semesters of Bible college. And they can get some college credit for it, and they'll be trained in spiritual warfare and evangelism, and they'll learn what it's like. They'll get some hands-on experience going into a city, going into a country, and opening it up with the gospel. Amen. Planting a church. And uh, so we're excited about that. We've got our first... We have our first group of interns coming this summer. They're already coming. It's going to grow, and uh, we're excited about the. Now, God may call these students to be missionaries in Asia or Africa, or they may come right back here to the United States of America and plant a home missions church. You know, it's, it, we're just trying to help them to accelerate that calling and, and that ministry and just kind of leap forward and start fulfilling what God has called them to do and to prepare them and equip them. Amen. 
And it's not just, you know, we've got a training program that works very well where we're at. But we're also aware there's a lot of different cultures out there and a lot of different ways of reaching, you know, this world. And so we also do cross-cultural training where basically we say, okay, here's the biblical principles that you have learned here. How are you going to apply that where God's calling you to go? And we'll help them learn that. And so I'm excited about not only training Russian-speaking nationals, but also we get to train another generation of missionaries. Amen? Amen. And God has blessed us tremendously. And uh, we have, we're about ready to go back to Latvia. And we're just trying to, we need to, um, we're still raising some funds for our Bible college. And uh, we're going to grow that as fast as we can. As the funds are available, we'll buy land and we'll build on that as it's, as it's available. And they've, you know, Latvia has a lot of winter time. And what's kind of neat is they have these giant warehouses where you can start constructing parts of things <laughs> inside there during the winter time, and then you can put it on a foundation during, when, it, when it thaws a little bit. It gets a little warmer out there. And so, you know what, one way or another, we're going to get this thing going. And so but we're going to start training students now, but by the time we get to 2018, we want to have our own facility, and we're just excited about what God's doing. Amen? I mean, he has a global vision. Jesus would have gone to the cross for one soul. But he went for all. And, you know, we hear about this, especially with a missionary, you always hear about the Great Commission. But that Great Commission is in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20. It must have been important. Amen. Jesus began to send them out. And then you get to Acts 1 and 8, the last words that he spoke before he ascended. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. His ministry only lasted about three years. He set an example for us. And then he began to commission his disciples and send them out two by two. And he said, you go heal the sick. You go preach the gospel. He didn't say, go find some sick people and bring them to me. He said, you go do it. I am giving you the power and authority to do that. Amen. And we have the name of Jesus, amen. And we have the power of the Holy Ghost, amen, to go with us. And we look at this and we, and we think, put yourself in the sandals of those disciples. Jesus is saying, go to all the world. And you're thinking, okay, I'm going to have to cross some language barriers and some cultural barriers. And, uh, but they took him seriously. They knew that he meant what he said. And I remember being in a, in a Muslim country on the Caspian Sea, and we had just had a break great breakthrough and a great revival had broken out there and I was walking down by the seashore and there's all these old ruins of buildings down there from from thousands of years a couple thousand years ago and it's you know it, it's nothing really fancy but they got this they got some markers set up there and some things and I, I was starting to read some of the plaques and and uh, there's one that says that this is where the disciple Bartholomew was martyred I thought you know I don't know where if that's really where he was martyred but I got to thinking you know well this, if that's where he was martyred, Brother Bartholomew made it a long way for not having an airplane. And I got to thinking, you know what? He brought that. We're not the first ones to preach the gospel there. He gave his life to get the gospel that far. But now, you know what? We're completing that mission. That mission that was started, amen, we are about, and I really believe it. That in, in just the next few years, I really believe that to the best of our knowledge, we're going to be able to say that the Great Commission is being fulfilled and that this gospel is being preached in every nation. Amen. And we're going to see very soon, we're going to see what John saw in Revelation 7 and 9. He's, in heaven, he's got a vision of heaven. And he says, after this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. 
That's going to be the all-nation. Here we, in, in North America, we have all-nation Sunday. That's the all-nation Sunday that's going to go on for eternity. It's not just going to be a one-day event, amen? It is going to go on for eternity. We're just getting warmed up. We're just getting started, and we are getting very close to seeing what John saw, amen? And in Matthew 24 and 14, it says once again, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Jesus is coming soon. He is coming soon. I tell you, all God needs to accomplish his will is some people that say, Lord, I'm available to you. That's all he's ever needed. Is some people that said, you, you read in the Bible about there's times where Jesus was talking to his disciples and it says that some left him and didn't walk with him anymore. You know, we think, well, boy, everybody, you know, if Jesus was here, we'd all follow Jesus, right? Hey, there's some people there in his day that didn't follow him. Amen. But you know what? He, he will take those that make themselves available to him. Amen. And he will use them for his glory. Amen. And Jesus said, he said, on this rock, I will build my church. It's not our church. It's his church. But like the Apostle Paul said, we get to be co-laborers with Christ. That means, and it's not just, he's not just talking about missionaries. He's talking about every one of us as believers. You might have one job that pays the bills, but you got another job working with Jesus. And that is the greatest job in the world, amen? It is, I mean, it is exciting. When you are fulfilling the purpose of what God has called you to do, it will give you a peace and a joy like nothing else. And I want you to know, especially when I look at you young people, I can pick on you guys. You are created for a purpose. God has something for you. He put talents and abilities and things in you. And my prayer is just use them for his glory. Amen. You, you have some talents that you haven't even discovered yet. And I pray that God helps you discover them. And if I could tell you right now, if I said, you know what, you're going to wake up one day and be a missionary in India. You might get kind of nervous and think, you know, I'm not even sure if I like Indian food. But believe me, if God has called you to do that, he has put things in you that you're going to love when you experience, but you haven't even tried it yet. Amen. You can trust in his great plan. I, I mean, I had a plan. I, I was raised in a home missions church and, and, and uh, just, you know, a great, God bless me, the great family. And, um, but my plan, I mean, I had family members that were missionaries in Africa and my sister was in Taiwan. And, and my plan was just, I thought, you know what, I, I want to go to college and get a good degree and get a good job and make a lot of money. And I'm going to give the missions. That's not a bad plan, by the way. God had an even better plan. So God kind of worked with my plan. We were in home missions. We didn't, you know, we didn't have a lot of money to work with there. And I wanted to go to college. And God did an absolute miracle, and I got offered a full scholarship to one university. See how God does this. Okay? He says, all right, I want you to, you're going to go to college, but you're going to go where I want you to go. So I was in a little town and a little private university. It's not where I planned on going, but it was free. Well, to make a long story short, in the next 18 months, we had 49 Asian students receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 36 of them were from China. Three of them dropped out of their, that university and went to our Bible colleges. One of them, his name was Chung Ping. Chung Ping was the secretary for a, a, uh, this underground political party in China. He was in Tiananmen Square when those students were protesting. He was willing to die for what he believed in, and that was democracy. Well, when he got a hold of this truth and got baptized and got the Holy Ghost, he said, you know what, my people need more than democracy. They need to meet Jesus. And so God, God did not call me to be a missionary to China. I've been there, but I'm not called to be a missionary there. But God allowed me to come in contact with somebody who spoke the language, 
who, who fits in a whole lot better than I do. Yeah. Amen. And he's preaching the gospel in China. Yeah. Amen. I'm telling you, God's got a way to get this done. And sometimes things don't go according to our plan, but he's got the best plan. And so I end up, it's, I don't have time to tell the whole story, but it's amazing how miracle after miracle, you can look back in your life sometimes and see how God had you on a path. And how he was doing things that maybe they didn't make a lot of sense at the time, but you look back and you're like, wow, God, you're smart. You know, we talk about how loving he is and all these things. He's pretty smart too. And, and so you look back at it and, I'm, and, I, and I see how, you know, I ended up getting a degree in computer science, which wasn't the degree I started studying. I ended up getting a job for a telecommunications company, which is not where I planned on working. But then God put it on my heart to be a missionary. Okay? And so then I, here I am, and I'm saying, Lord, I've done all this work to try to build this career, and I was able to write my first $1,000 check to a missionary offering. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. I was 21 years old. And, I mean, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And I said, well, Lord, how do I transition from that to being a missionary? I didn't go to Bible school. And... And all that. You know, I hadn't been planning on all that. And so God did a miracle, and I talked to the owner of my company, and he said, I'll tell you what, you can just travel wherever you want to go and work over the Internet whenever you can, and we'll keep paying you. So for the next 11 years, I was like the Apostle Paul making tents in the 21st century, I guess. And I did missionary work in about 30 countries during that time. Pastoring churches, you know, youth camps, Bible school teaching, whatever needed to be done anywhere, I was available. And I would just try to work as much as I could whenever I could. I might be in a McDonald's in Cape Town, South Africa. But sometimes I was in the jungle with no electricity. And my employer at the time, I'm a full-time missionary today. But my employer never complained, not one single time during that whole, all that time. They just kept on paying me. I mean, and I'm telling you, when God calls you to do something, no matter what it is, he doesn't just leave you. You know, he will walk with you. He said, I will be with you. Even, Right? And so for that time frame in my life, he made a way for it to happen. And I've had so many people ask me, how do I get a job like that? You have to talk to him. I did not make that arrangement. All I did is tell God, I'm available. And Lord, if I'm being faithful to church, I'm a giver. If you want me to just keep doing this, I'm, I'm fine. But God, if you have something more, I'm available. And he just might take you up on it. And uh, I, speaking of that jungle with no electricity, I remember being out in the Amazon jungle with these things called bird spiders about the size of a dinner plate and eight birds. And uh, I'm thinking that needs to be in a, in a zoo somewhere behind a piece of glass. And, uh, and, and you're out there and it's so hot, you feel like your brain is melting and, and, and I'm, uh, I'm from the north, you know, I'm not used to that. And, it's, and one of the brothers, he says, you know, um, missionary, if you need to cool off, just go down to the river and you can swim in the river a little bit, but be careful, there's piranhas in there. And I really am sitting there thinking like, I've got one life to give to Jesus. And I'm not quite sure if I want to risk it on those fish. But you know what? I, that was in the very, very early days of my ministry. I was not even a licensed minister at the time. But I would not trade those experiences for anything. Because we're the clay and he's the potter. And he is molding us and making us into what we need to be to do what he's called us to do. Amen? I remember one time I found myself in an old Russian airplane. About half the seats were broken laying flat. And as we were flying through the clouds, the mist from the clouds was coming up inside the plane. And it was a rickety operation, and I had a handwritten airplane ticket. And I was not flying on that Russian plane in Russia. I was actually flying from somewhere in Mexico to Havana, Cuba. But when we got there, we found over 400 people that were hungry for God. And in two days, 59 people received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. God, God has a church in communist Cuba. 
I remember one time I was up in, uh, I was in northern Mexico, and uh, I was helping some friends uh, plant churches in northern Mexico, and we were in Obregón and, and uh, this city, and we, had a, we were renting a little building, and we had about 40 people in there. Or we could fit about 40 in there. And, uh, and so we had a man named Fernando. We were discipling him, and we were ready to install him as pastor. So we had a special speaker come from North America, and we're going to install this man as a pastor and launch this church. And, and the day before the special service, the landlord kicked us out. And we're thinking, like, what are we going to do? Well, Fernando said, you know, I've, there's a park across the street from my, my house. He just had this little tiny house. And so we thought, okay, we'll just, so we ran some extension cords across the street, hooked up a PA system, keyboard. Does this sound familiar, Brother Enos? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Missionaries know what I'm talking about. And so we set it up there, and there's kids on the swings and going down the slides and everything, and we just started having church service, praising God. Amen. And uh, people started driving by, and they'd stop, roll down their windows, get out of their cars, come check it out. People walking out of the doors of their homes, hear some music playing, come over there. Next thing you know, we had about 120 people. Nine people received the Holy Ghost. An old man who was in a wheelchair came out of that wheelchair healed. So we had a plan for 40 people in a building, and God had a plan for 120 outside. Amen. He's got, you know, we've got some good plans. God's got the best plan. Amen. Amen. He's just looking for some people that are available. Amen. And I remember uh, one time I was, um, I got a call from a missionary and he said, I need you to come and take some young people on a campus ministry trip. And uh, we ended up up in the mountains in Peru at about 13,000 feet. And if you've never been that high, it is a breathtaking experience. And you get excited when I jump up and praise God and you just about need to be revived. And, uh, but at that level, uh, at, on the border between Peru and Bolivia, there's a big lake up there. And there are some floating islands on this lake that people built out of reeds. Centuries ago, they, they got these reeds and began to weave them together. And they made boats and they made these big floating platforms. And they have huts on the platforms. And every, if you can imagine having a home where every few months you've got to put some more reeds on the floor because the bottom is gradually rotting away. And we went to one of these islands, took a boat out there. And they were so happy to see us. There were four huts in that island, and everyone on that island was a believer, baptized in the name of Jesus, and had received the gift of the Holy Ghost, because a little Peruvian lady had gone to the shore, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, took it back to her island, began to witness to people there. And today, there are three islands out there where everyone is a believer. And they are, as of August, they may be finished, and as of August, last August, they were building a floating church out there. Now... I know you are the church, the building's not the church, but that's kind of cool anyway, because like I said earlier, the people of God love to get together. We're just getting warmed up for what John saw in Revelation 7, amen? We love to get together and celebrate him and worship him, amen? And I have been in the Middle East in Arabic-speaking services, and I've seen Iraqi political prisoners get baptized in the name of Jesus, and I've prayed with them as they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It does not matter if it's a communist country, a Muslim country, a lake in the mountains. It doesn't matter, a jungle. This gospel will be preached. It is his desire, and it's our mission. Amen. And it is happening. And I remember one time I got a phone call from a, a missionary, and he said, I need you to come pastor the church in Athens, Greece. And I had, I had never pastored anything at that point in my life. I hadn't even met my wife yet. And, and I said, okay. So I get there, and I find out I'm pastoring about 500 people from 27 different countries. And they spoke 22 different languages. And I thought, Lord, what have I got myself into? 
And I got to do my first baby dedication. I was just praying, God, I, please help me so I don't have to do any serious marriage counseling. I'm not even married myself. But like I said, you know, God, it, sometimes he'll move you out of your comfort zone because he's, he's just trying to help you grow a little faster. And, uh, but the stories, the stories from the people in that church, like Brother Ahmed, the Syrian Muslim who got, had a stroke and was paralyzed from the neck down, and how God healed him when a missionary laid hands on him in the name of Jesus. You know, the, 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 people, the people from India that had, the people that had spent times in prisons and, and all kinds of things and, and somehow ended up in Greece and after a couple of years of traveling and they heard that they were Hindu and they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're in the church now. I mean, it's the, the, the church in Armenia, the country of Armenia was opened up with the gospel from people that were from that church in Greece. It is amazing. I mean, I am convinced that this gospel is going to get preached in every nation. Amen. God, there is no obstacle that's going to stop our Lord. And, and, and I'm telling you, there's some places that we look at them in our logical mind. We wonder, how are we going to go there and preach? And, and like I said earlier, we have six Muslim countries in our area. And they're all kind of secular Muslim. Uh, they, have government, they have presidents that are basically dictators slash president for life. They never lose an election. Okay, but, they, but these countries, one in particular, um, God put it on my heart several years ago, and, and I began to study that country and the history of it, and I saw how, how in the physical world, it was a key location for centuries. During the days of Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan and World War II, and uh, the first oil boom of the, in the world basically happened there, and that's, that country supplied the energy for the Soviet war machine. And this was a key location, and I thought, you know what, sometimes... A lot of times, the spiritual world mirrors what's happening in the physical world, especially if we're not there and we don't have an influence there. And I thought, you know, if we could have a breakthrough, a spiritual breakthrough, a revival in that one nation, it might unlock all those seven nations around it, those Muslim nations around it. And so I began to pray for that country. And uh, God, he, um, he allowed me about three years ago, let me see, three and a half years ago, he gave me an opportunity to go there. And myself and Brother William Turner and Brother Michael Tuttle were there. And we went, and we were walking the streets of that country, and, uh, and we were praying over that country. And God did, did a, you know, you're just, our missions team had, had actually, we had had a couple people praying there. And, and we're just, you know, we start preparing this place with prayer and fasting. And we don't have any contacts. And, and we're just, uh, we're going as tourists. And we get there, and we're walking the streets, and we're praying and saying, God, lead us to a hungry heart. And God, open up doors. And we believe there's at least one hungry heart in every nation. Well, we met a man named Valera, and Valera, after a while, he felt like he could trust us, and we felt like we could trust him, and he said, you need to meet my brother. So we went to meet his brother, and his brother is a bishop of a network of about 5,000 people that believe in receiving the Holy Ghost. They're what we call Urshanites. They trace themselves back to 1914, 1915 time frame, and it was that there's, there's five brothers that are kind of the leaders of this group, and it was their grandmother who had gotten the Holy Ghost back in those days, and, and so we began to talk to them. And uh, they said, you know, we've got a problem. They said, we, um, you know, this is all a secret underground group because it's, some of them have been beaten and imprisoned over the years, and, and they've been holding strong to what they know during the Soviet times, and now it's an Islamic state. And they said, we have a problem, and that is that we have not had an outpouring of the Holy Ghost in about 20 years, since the mid-1990s. And they said, our teenagers, I mean, I remember one lady came up to me, and she had her teenage daughter with her, and tears were running down her face and she's saying please pray for my daughter she needs the holy ghost 
because the kids weren't getting it, the teenagers weren't getting it, people were growing up and they're not receiving the Holy Ghost and they were desperate. And so we began to talk to them and we asked them about, well, how do you baptize? And they said, well, you know, we normally baptize in the name of Jesus because that's how we were taught and the Bible says do everything in the name of Jesus. But they really, as we began to talk to them, we realized they did not have a complete understanding of the oneness of God in the name of Jesus. There was a few things missing there. And we, we sat down, we, we realized that, but we're trying to think about how are we going to approach this. Well, the bishop said, he said, I want you to meet with um, my leadership, uh, my pastors. And so we, we met on a Monday night in this dark place out somewhere, and, uh, and there's, there's, these men were in there, and they had their Bibles. And they said, for the last two years, we've been meeting and having this Bible study. And we've been studying the name of the Lord, Jesus, in the New Testament. We've been studying the name of the Lord, Jehovah, in the Old Testament. And they began to show us all these scriptures they had. On, it was, they were the scriptures on the oneness of God in the name of Jesus. And they were this close to putting it all together. And they looked at us and they said, do you have any thoughts on this? Why, yes, we do. And so using the same scriptures they had, we just had a very simple Bible study on the oneness of God in the name of Jesus. And just kind of put it all together there. And it was like light bulbs going off as pastors begin to get the revelation of who Jesus is and have a full understanding. And you know what happened? People started getting the Holy Ghost. The gifts of the Spirit started coming into operation. People are getting healed. And people are being baptized in that wonderful name of Jesus. Amen? It's a, you know, we were, this is like a missionary dream scenario right here. We're looking for one hungry soul. And God said, well, I've got, watch this. I've got a few thousand here that are seeking full truth, and they are this close to me, and, and I'm going to connect you with them. Okay, and that's an amazing testimony and story of what God has done and how he opened that up. But like I said, we go in there as tourists, and we have to be very careful. All right, so, but that's not the end of the story. A couple of months after that, my wife and I were in Copenhagen, Denmark, and we were going to take care of the church in Copenhagen for a little while. And the pastor of the church in Copenhagen, his name is Brother Chris Brett. And Brother Brett is an Australian. That's another story about how God can take care of things. This man is a pastor, but he's also a lawyer in the oil business. I mean, Denmark is a very expensive country. It's almost impossible for us to ever afford to even put a missionary there. And yet God finds somebody from the church in Australia, has him marry a Danish lady, decides to start a church in Copenhagen, and he's a lawyer in the oil business, negotiates billion-dollar contracts. He can afford to live there. I'm telling one way or another... God's going to get this gospel preached in every nation. Amen? And so we're going to take care of the church for just a few months. And Brother Brett, he tells, I, you know, we're talking, and I tell him about this country we went to where we had had this breakthrough with this underground church. And he said, um, I've been in that country. He said, I was there for about six weeks, and I was negotiating oil contracts. And he said, I was in the presidential palace of that country, and I was having a prayer meeting there. He said, I was by myself for a while. He said, I prayed in the presidential palace of that country. And I said, wow, that's, that is neat. And that's neat. You know, that, that while we're praying down the streets, we didn't even know it, but Brother Brett's praying in the presidential palace. And, and so you just kind of file that away. You know, that's pretty cool. Well, then some time goes by. A few years go by. And, and we're going in and out of there when we can and doing what we can. Well, last August, my wife and I are on deputation. And we're in Dallas, Texas. And we have a Thursday night service, and it gets canceled. And we find out the National Multicultural Summit is going on across the city. So we drive across Dallas, go to that. We get there, and Brother Art Wilson gets up and begins to testify about what God is doing at the United Nations. And basically, about 
almost four years ago, three and a half, four years ago, a lady walked into Brother Wilson's church and she was about ready to die. God healed her. That, she worked at the United Nations. That opened up a door at the United Nations. I'm giving you a very short version of this. Some of you already know the whole story. And uh, basically, people, we basically have a church at the UN. People are getting the Holy Ghost, getting baptized from all around the world. God's doing miracles of healing. And it is amazing. And so Brother Wilson is sharing uh, what God is doing there. And he says there was this lady who had stage four cancer, and God healed her. And he gets a phone call, and a limousine comes to pick him up. This is in New York City, to take him to a very exclusive place where he said he was to meet with someone who he referred to as his excellency. Everyone calls this man his excellency. And he said this man told him, this man told Brother Wilson, he said, I have some questions. I have talked to top Muslim leaders. I have talked to top Christian leaders, and they cannot answer my questions. And Brother Wilson said, this is one of those times where the Holy Ghost gives you the answers. And he was able to answer this man's questions. And when he got done, this man said, every year in my country, there is a meeting, like a council of, of leaders of nations around me that come and meet in my country. And I want you to come, and I want you to tell them what you told me. And as Brother Wilson is sharing this testimony, I'm sitting there thinking, like, I think I know this country. He will not give the name of the country, but I think I know this country. I have walked the streets of that country. God has given us a breakthrough in that country. And so I said, I was like, Lord, should I talk to Brother Wilson? And the Lord told me exactly what to tell Brother Wilson. So I went to Brother Wilson, and I just said, Brother Wilson, I want you to know that if you go to, and I gave him the name of the country, I want you to know that one of our pastors, full of the Holy Ghost, has been in the presidential palace and prayed over that country. And his eyes got about like this and he said, what's his name? And he got some paper out and he started asking me all these questions. And what I did not know was that that lady who got healed of stage four cancer was the wife of the president. And his excellency, you guess it, he is the leader of that nation. And within about two months, the paperwork was in process for us to have a legal church registration. This, this is impossible. I, I, I mean, I wish I could tell you more details. Some of us classified. I'm kind of risking what, being risky with what I just said. Because we haven't yet had that meeting with those leaders. That's coming up. But guess what? That's that key country. And those leaders of all those countries around it, that's where they're coming. God has a way of doing things. And I remember when this first started to happen, and it's gone beyond that. It's gone beyond that where uh, it's just, it's amazing what God is doing right now. We look at some of these situations. I mean, that is impossible. I, the only way that connection got made was I happened to be one of the people that, were, that was part of opening up that country, one of the three people. And then I happened to have a service get canceled, and somehow I ended up over here, and I hear this testimony and you know what I really believe was the key to all that? Brother Brett was in the presidential palace having a prayer meeting. He's just doing his job. I haven't even told Brother Brett what happened yet. There's times I need to tell him. I feel bad. There are times where you feel impressed to pray for a city, pray for your pastor, pray for a nation, pray for a missionary. Do it. You just have no idea what God can do with that. Brother, Brother Brett's just doing his job. Amen. And I began to think about, I'm like, this is impossible. And I got to thinking about Acts chapter 12. 
And the church is praying, oh, God, get Peter out of prison. They're going to cut his head off. And what happens? The angel of the Lord shows up, tells Peter, put your shoes on, put your coat on, walks him out past the guards. The doors open up. He gets outside the prison. He thinks he's having a dream or he's in a trance, you know, and he realizes, no, this really happened. He goes to the church. He's knocking on the door of the church. The church can't believe their prayer just got answered. It takes them a little bit to open that door. You can learn some lessons from this. We can learn some lessons from this. God's probably not going to put our shoes on for us or our coat, and he doesn't open the church door. He opened the prison doors, but he didn't open that church door. We can open that door. We have to open that door and say, come, whoever will, amen. God will take care of the impossible doors. You make yourself available to God. You put your shoes on. You pack your suitcase. You put your coat on. You do what you can do. You open the church door. You do what you can do, and God can do the impossible. He can absolutely. There's a, there's a prayer that we pray when we go into a, a new city or a new country in an area that especially we're not supposed to be there, and that prayer is real simple, and it comes from the word of God, and it is just, Lord, arise and let your enemies be scattered. Lord, give us favor in this land. Give us favor with the government. Give us favor on our jobs. Give us favor with families. Give us favor in our schools. Amen? I pray the Lord does that right here. Lord, give your people favor. In the name of Jesus, let it happen. In Jesus' name. Lord, open our eyes to the possibilities. He is coming soon. And there is no door he can't open. Amen? You know, he's going to do, he's going to, I pray that God opens up some impossible doors in your life in the very near future. And I don't even know what, that may be something different for everybody in here. Amen. But he absolutely, I mean, I'm telling you with 100% faith right now, he can do it. He absolutely can do it. I have seen too much to not believe that he can open up doors and he can make a way and that this gospel will get preached. Amen. Amen. There's, oh, wow, there's just so much that God is doing. And I, I just, and even in the, sometimes in the, even in the small things, I mean, sometimes you go somewhere or you wonder, you know, you only have a couple of months or a short time to spend to, to work with someone. And you wonder, you know, what's going to happen with that? And God, God can just, you just make yourself available. You're like the boy with the loaves and the fishes. You take what you got, you make it available to the master, and he can multiply that. I was, uh, uh, several years ago, um, when I was still single, I was in Barcelona, Spain. And I was studying Spanish at the University of Barcelona, and I met a young couple named Marco and Joy. And they were wild. And they, uh, they came to church, they made the wild people feel uncomfortable. They were street performers at the time. I mean, I, I don't even want to talk about what all that involved, but they were, they were, they quit doing that when they got in church, but they were something else. Well, they got the Holy Ghost uh, the first Sunday they came to church. We started having a Bible study. After the second Bible study, they saw their need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. So they were baptized on a Sunday. Tuesday night, we have midweek prayer meeting and Bible study for the whole church. They show up with an elderly lady named Augustine. And they say, Augustine's got a testimony. She, uh, and so we gave Augustine the microphone and let her testify. And she starts talking about how she, uh, she had a lot of pain in her left leg and her hip. And she was suffering and, and had, she was scheduled to have surgery on that leg. Well, um, Marco and Joy laid hands on her in the name of Jesus and God healed her. And I said, well, I kind of looked at them. I said, what happened? I mean, they've had the Holy Ghost two weeks. Like, that should make a difference. And I said, well, what happened? They said, well, remember that Bible study you were teaching? You were talking about the signs of the believer. 
And one is they'll speak with new tongues, and we did that one. And another one is they'll lay hands on the sick, and they'll be healed. And so we did that one too. And so Augustine gets the Holy Ghost and gets baptized. She goes home, tells her niece Esther and Esther's husband Jeffrey what God did for her. They came to church. They got the Holy Ghost. They got baptized. By the time we got to the third Bible study, we had five. By the time we got to the fifth Bible study, we had 12. And God began to multiply it. And God taught me a couple lessons through that. One of those is that power of a personal testimony. You are the expert at what God has done for you. You know every detail about it. The pain you had in your body, the depression, the bad habits, the addictions, how he delivered you, how he healed you, how he gave you peace, amen? And how you are living free and victoriously today. You know what he's done for you. If he's ever done anything for you, you got a testimony of what he can do, amen? Now, they were not Bible scholars, but they had a testimony. And today... I found out just a few months ago, they are now pastoring an English-speaking daughter work in Barcelona, Spain. And that kind of blew my mind a bit because when I met them, they were trying to learn English. I was trying to learn Spanish. That first Bible study that should have taken 45 minutes took about three hours. And I had a big headache when I got done. And I remember walking out of that door saying, Lord, please give them patience so we can have another Bible study. And uh, But look what God can do. Amen? It, it's... Uh, we look at this world, and, and, and we look at, and there's so many people that need the Lord, and there's so much work to do. And in our human thinking, it can be kind of overwhelming. But I just want to encourage you, church, focus on the opportunity that God puts right in front of you. A single person, a couple, you know, a prayer meeting. I mean, <laughs> you just, if you're in the grocery store and you feel impressed to pray, the Holy Ghost, be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Pray that prayer. You don't know what God's going to do. Just whatever opportunity God puts in front of you, just focus on that, and he can just take that and multiply that. My father-in-law was raised in a little town in southern Illinois. His mother worked in a, she smoked two packs a day. She worked in a car factory making parts. His father was a coal miner. His parents got divorced. His stepfather was an alcoholic. So he's a seven-year-old kid sleeping in the car because his parents, his mom and stepdad are fighting. And a Sunday school teacher named Sister Patsy Saw this boy in the yard, asked his mom, can I take your son to Sunday school? He goes to Sunday school, he hears about Jesus. When he's 14 years old, well, he gets the Holy Ghost, gets uh, baptized. When he's 14 years old, he starts preaching. By the time he's 24, he's a missionary. And uh, today, you know, they spent over 20 years, about 20 years in El Salvador, opened up hundreds of churches and, and a lot, God's done a lot. And today, with his own eyes, he knows he's seen well over 500,000 people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You just don't know. You know, Sister Patsy did not get to do all that. But she told the little boy about Jesus. She took a, picked up a little boy and took him to Sunday school. And he got to do all those things. Every one of us just doing our part for the kingdom. And to God be all the glory and the honor and the praise. Amen. Amen. If we could stand tonight. If you have received the gift of the Holy Ghost, I know there's at least three things that happened on that day. One of those is you repented. I know you repented. The second thing that happened is surrender. And this right here is the universal sign of surrender. At some point in your heart and your mind, you said, Lord, I'm just, I'm, I give you my everything. I'm available to you. 
not my will, but your will be done. And the third thing that happened is at some point you began to praise God. And you began to, you, you were saying hallelujah, I love you, Jesus. You were praising God. And what's, what happened is when you began to praise God, he, he just, when you praise him, he gets excited. Yeah. Like he wants to do something for you. Yeah. That atmosphere of praise is where you see miracles happen. Miracles of deliverance, miracles of healing, miracle of receiving the Holy Ghost. It happens in an atmosphere of praise. I mean, I've known people driving in their trucks and they're, put some praise music on. Praising God, the Holy Ghost starts to move. They got to pull off the side of the road, and God does a miracle. I know someone received the Holy Ghost that way. God does a miracle. Amen. But you are praising God, and what happens is the Spirit of the Lord wants to take over. And, and so you just need to yield your tongue to him, and, he, and you'll begin to praise him, but in a language you don't know. And it's kind of neat that, that in the mission field sometimes, we get to hear someone, uh, we get to hear that evidence, the biblical evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost of someone speaking in a language they don't know fluently, but we know it. Every once in a while, we know it. And I remember we were in the Czech Republic, and there was a man there named Mark. And Mark, he was from West Africa, and he knew French, and he knew English, and he knew some tribal languages. And when he got the Holy Ghost, he began to glorify God in Spanish. And, in the, in the, and I have a video of a little girl in the country of Chile, five years old. All she knows is Spanish. When she gets the Holy Ghost, she began to glorify God in English. And she has her little hands in the air. She's saying, at one point, she's saying, come, Messiah, come. Come, Messiah, come. He is coming soon. Amen. So basically, you were praising God in a language you didn't know, or you did know, and then you just kept praising God, but in a language you didn't know. Amen. But those three things, it's not just a one-time thing. It's every day. Everyday repentance, everyday surrender, everyday praise. And we love to praise God. Amen. We love to praise him. And we know repentance is something good to do that we need to do every day. But what about that surrender? We've got plans. Here's what I'm going to do with my life. Surrender, it's, you know, it's good to have plans. It really is good to set goals and have plans. What surrender is is saying, Lord, here's my plan. I lay it before you. And God, if you want to change my plan, I'm available for you to change that plan. Not my dreams, but your dreams, Jesus. Right where we're standing right now, I want us all to just pray a prayer of repentance. Lord Jesus, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Lord, I don't want anything to separate me from you, Lord God. I know you have a purpose for me, God, and I want to fulfill that purpose while I'm here. And I want to fulfill that purpose to be with you for eternity, mighty God. Lord Jesus, I don't want any sin or anything in my life that would keep me from you. Lord, if there's something that, that I've buried it and I've made excuses for it, I ask that you dig it up and show it to me so I can turn away from that and turn towards you, Jesus. Because I love you, Jesus, and I want to be with you forever, my God and my King. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, could you Jesus. Oh, mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. You know, I love to praise God, and we love to praise God, and that creates an atmosphere for a miracle. But I want to open this altar tonight, and what I want you to do, I want to invite you to come forward, but I want you to come with that heart of surrender and just say, Lord, I'm available to you. Not my will, but your will be done. God, I want you to use me for your glory, mighty Jesus. Use me for your glory, mighty Jesus. 
Have your way in my life, mighty God. Lord, open up some doors for your people, mighty God. Make a way for them, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, help us be sensitive to your voice, God. Help us be sensitive to the nudging of your spirit each and every day, Lord God. As you open up doors for your people and as they make themselves available to you, God. Open up some impossible doors, God. Show yourself strong and mighty, God, in this city, God. In Cincinnati, Ohio, mighty God. Open up a door, God, and make a mighty way, Jesus. You're coming soon, Jesus. You're coming soon, but you have some things that you want to accomplish, Lord. You're not finished in our lives. Lord, you're not finished, my God. You're not finished on this, in this church. You're not finished in this city. You're not finished on this earth, mighty God. And Lord, we want to be busy about your business. So God, we make ourselves completely available to you, Jesus. Savior, I serve.